Hello and welcome back to the We Need Therapy podcast. On today's episode, we have two special guests joining us in the studio. And they discuss their journey to parenthood as gay dads. And we discuss the current surrogacy laws in WA and the proposed changes before state parliament. As always, thank you for listening. Please like and review us on whatever channel you're listening to. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. All right, I've got a title for the episode. Really? What is it? Three Gays, One Guy. Oh, I think I've seen that on Pornhub. We're all guys. Oh yeah, true. (laughs) Oh, sorry, I wasn't assuming your gender. (laughs) This is a very woke podcast. I've got another title. What about four gays? (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go. Okay. So we have two special guests with us today. We have Paul and Anthony. Say hello to our listeners. Hello. Hi, everybody. So Anthony, we'll introduce you. We can say, oh, we've all, we already know your age, but tell us. Do we? How do you? Oh, no, we don't. Sorry, I meant we your know, name. We know nothing about these two. Okay. Why don't Anthony introduce yourself and say what you do for a job? Yeah, my name's Anthony and I work in communications. I have a small PR firm. In, I can't do this. I'm <laughs> you going to say penis there. <laughs> that was <laughs> fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, let's let's try it. Okay, Paul, why don't you be the first person to introduce yourself? Yeah, that's okay. Tell that's us okay. What you do. You've got the A team here. You're okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. So, so my background. Um, so, I work in human resources mm-hmm. and more recently in operations. Um, yeah. Great, awesome. And we have someone else here, Anthony Fisk. Why don't you tell us what you do for a job? I have a PR company. Oh, for fuck's sake. I don't know why. It's, it's so like he's reading off palm cards. He sounds like he should be. Hello, my name is Anthony. Yeah. ESL? Don't relax into it. Like. <laughs> you honestly sound like you're from Sesame Street. <laughs> he looks it too. Wait, does anyone know the word of today? <laughs> Which one? Well, welcome to the podcast, guys. We are really excited to have you on today. So we've got a bit of a, a topic that we're going to talk about, and that's gay dads and their journey to parenthood. So we're hoping that you can share some of your stories with us and talk about the barriers you face and also the really great successes you've had as parents. So Paul, tell us a little bit about the background when you decided you you wanted to be a father. So when I first came out to my parents, which was a long time ago um, in the late 90s, the first reaction I got from my parents, I mean, they were, they were absolutely traumatized. But one of the first things that they said to me was that we're just really worried that you're going to be alone. Mm. You know, and it was that thought of not having a family that was really scary for them. And I hadn't really thought about it because, you know, I was 18, 19, 20, something like that. So it wasn't really a thing. But, you know, I completely get that, you know, being a parent and being part of a community. Yeah. And then later on in my 30s, I came, I became, I don't know whether this is like a natural thing for people, but I became a little bit clucky. Mm. Like I used to dream about having kids. Sure. Like I had a period and, but it just wasn't possible. Like when I was in my 30s, it just, you know, you would hear about superstars going and having surrogates have children for them and that kind of thing. But it just wasn't an option for gay people mm. at that time. Absolutely. Can I just ask, when you were, you know, when you came out to your parents, was your family really family orientated? Were they very focused on, you know, having a big family, an extended family? My parents have always been about family. They've always worked hard to protect us and do the right thing by us. But, you know, again, just because of the, you know, their generation being gay, you know, it wasn't really a thing back then. I mean, I'm I'm 51 Mm. this year. And, so back then, the you know a gay person that they would be they experience even I when I first realised that I was gay, would be you know the camp stereotype that you would see 
on TV, on TV shows. Yeah. So that was their experience. They didn't know it was, there was more than that. Yeah, and that's not really compatible with having a family, a baby, that kind of thing. No. When we think about that, that stereotypical gay character that's presented to us in so many sitcoms, like, you know, whether it be Friends or Will and Grace, they're kind of a bit of a joke, right? You don't assume that they're going to be this responsible family man with a mortgage, kids, and everything else that goes along with it. Tell us a little bit, Paul, about where you grew up, because you're from Australia originally. Uh, no, so I'm originally from the UK, from Manchester in the north. Okay. And my parents were very working class, you know, had two or three jobs while they raised three kids. Wow. Um, they moved over to Australia in, um, in the late 80s. And I stayed back in the UK just to kind of protect my sexuality so they didn't know that they had a, a gay son. Oh, okay. Um, and, then, and, and then I spent 15 years working in the Middle East and Africa. And that, from a, being a gay man perspective, again, was another challenge. Um, because you could be executed or imprisoned and all the stigma attached to that too. And yeah. can I ask, how many kids do you have? So currently, myself and my partner, Charlie, we have one beautiful baby girl. She'll turn two in June. Yeah, she's just absolutely amazing. And I, I'm just, even now, I'm so overwhelmed of, about the amount of love that children bring, bring into your lives and all the people mm. around. You know, I don't feel like she's my child. I feel like I'm part of her life. And, you know, and she has all these people around her that bring us all together. Wow, that yeah. sounds amazing. And I've met your daughter. Yeah. Can I say her name? Yes. Yes, Samantha. Samantha. Yeah. She's beautiful. Thank and you. obviously your partner, Charlie, as well. So can you tell me a little bit about the process to getting Samantha or having Samantha in your family? So look, so, um, so I came to Australia about four or five years ago. And the realization that, you know, more gay men were having children uh, came to light. So there was uh, a friend of mine called Adrian, who's quite well known in the gay community, contributes a lot to the community. And he's got two beautiful children. And I met him and he told me about surrogacy. And it was only through his connection that I found out that there were support groups around Australia that promote surrogacy. So there's a company called Growing Families who do surrogacy seminars across all of Australia. And that's for people, whether you're gay, straight, single, young, old, they, they create hope for people that don't have hope. And I think it's just really important as well to realize that even in Australia, you know, we're, we're a Western country. It's a real struggle with the legislation that we have here. It's a real struggle to have children, whether you're going to go through surrogacy or even if you want to adopt, it's very hard. Yeah, absolutely. Anthony? Paul mentions hope. And I think I had a similar journey. I think when I was in my 30s, I had lost all hope. I didn't think I would ever be a father. And it was a dream of mine to be a dad. Me, me and my husband, Joseph, we're both quite family-oriented. We really like children. We have big families. We wanted to have children. And I had basically written the whole thing off. I thought it wasn't possible as a gay man to have kids. So, yeah, it gave us hope to, to meet these people who had gone through a process of surrogacy. And they were quite dramatic journeys, a lot of them, and to hear their stories and to see that it was possible and to learn from these guys that, yeah, sure, you can, you can have a, a family. And we even met people who were single gay dads, which I thought, my God, this is so weird. Like, we've, we've got a person in the community that's a single gay dad, and there's a few of them, actually, who made a decision to have kids without a partner. So, um, yeah, but it, it, it is complicated. We get to the story. Paul, you shared with me the website Growing Families earlier in the week and I was having a read through it and I read something that was quite surprising and, and shocking and it said that all couples, whether heterosexual or same-sex, are able to access surrogacy programs along with singles except in West Australia where gay couples and single men are still unable to. 
Yeah, so you, Anthony might be able to give more information on this. Only in the last couple of years, I've realised that, you know, obviously legislation is different from state to state and it's quite restrictive and old-fashioned. And the community has been talking about making changes to that. So Gay Dads WA, which we're, we're part of, have really been pushing to try and influence changes in the legislation, along with pe- people like Marty Kavner, who's a family lawyer here mm-hmm. and really supports the, the gay community. But uh, there are changes, which are some recommendations to make changes to the legislation, but they haven't been finalised yet. That was just announced. Yeah, I saw that. So where it sits currently, like today, if you are a a gay dad or a gay single man, is it possible for you to access children in the state? And how do you do it? It isn't. No. So we went overseas to have children. It's not legal to have children through surrogacy in Western Australia. And it's illegal for anyone to offer that service to gay men. So obviously mothers, mothers-to-be who want to be mothers for gay dads can't do that. It's illegal to do that. And even going overseas is a bit of a risk. It's frowned upon, basically. It's difficult to get back into the country. Legally, it's quite a grey area. So you're kind of going out on your own. There's no guarantee that you're going to be able to bring the kids back. There's a lot of um, uncertainty when they do come back. And, of course, we're not even on the birth certificate. My my kids have completely different people on their birth certificate. Is there a difference between what's allowed for a female, like a lesbian couple, and a gay couple? Yes. What what is that difference? Well, they're allowed to do it and gay men aren't. So It's, It's one of the weird things where men are the ones that are not allowed to do something in this society. So women are, but men aren't. It doesn't matter if you're gay or you're straight, but men aren't. Is it because the women can produce that child themselves? I don't know. It goes against logic. Look, <laughs> I, I think I think that you know I think society has got a long way to go, and I think that men, you know, when men are when you have men that are actively looking to um, associate with children, um, especially gay men, there's that whole perception around paedophilia. Yeah. And so I get that and understand that. But even as a gay dad in society now, and I know some of the other gay dads have felt the same thing, there is still a barrier to when you're trying to de- deal with or access just the general community. Mm. So, for example, I'll give, I'll give a very simple and very, very uh, easy example, a personal example of my, myself. So uh, Samantha go, goes to this amazing daycare centre, like they really care for the kids. And, um, and one of the other kids was pushing Samantha over. So I, I raised it with the mum and I just said, hey, just to let you know, like your little girl's pushing my girl over. And she said to me, oh, well, they're just playing. And I was like, yeah, and that's, that's probably fine. I said, but I just thought I'd want make you aware because I thought if my little girl's going around pushing people, I, I want to be told, you know. Anyway, a complaint was raised about me being aggressive. And I think it's because I'm a man. Yep. And so, yeah, they called me up and they said, we've had a formal complaint about you being aggressive. You know, and I was advised not to talk to the mothers if I had any kind of concerns. I need to speak to the, the daycare management. Sure. Um, wow. Now, I know that, um, you know, speaking to some, some of the other gay dads, when they take that kind of like motherish role where they're, you know, caring for their kids and speaking up about what's going on, um, sometimes the, the support isn't there and, you know, and the acceptance isn't there. I think because you're a man, so you're seen as the aggressor. Oh, and you are coming into spaces which have traditionally, rightly or wrongly, been very female-dominated, right? Like Absolutely. Like daycare centres, playgroups, swimming groups, whatever it is, mothers' groups, I, I, I guess there it's almost like a follow-on from that process. Would you? Is it very common, you know, Anthony, as you as well, did you attend things like that in the first few years of your child's life? And were there other gay parents there or other male parents there? 
No. So in my experience, we've basically had straight parents surrounding us. We've never had any other gay parents, apart from this opportunity to work together and meet each other and do social things together. But, you know, just going to school, there are no other gay parents at the school that we send our kids to. Mm -hmm. In fact, actually going to see the principal, he said to us when we said it might be a good opportunity for us to bring our kids to this school, it's a Catholic school, and she said, oh, yeah, um, I think you're the first of your kind. And I said, oh, my kind. (laughs) What kind is that? And she said, oh, you know, I'm sure the other parents will accept you. And I was Mm. like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they will too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Was there any other discrimination or...? I guess you don't really like to think about it, but it happens all the time. One time we went to America with my, uh, my eldest daughter at the time and... We went through immigration and the person at immigration said, who is this child? And I said, well, that's my daughter. And he said, well, who's that man with you? And I said, well, that's my boyfriend, Joseph. He was like, "Um, I don't understand the relationship with you and this child. I'm going to have to question this. I'm like, I've got the same surname as Celeste, my daughter. So it's just that constant kind of questioning and wondering, are you going to be able to get through into like a country? Like that was quite scary. Yeah, that that does sound really scary. And, you know, even crossing the American border is yeah confronting to begin with and the added layer. One thing I just want to backtrack a little bit is we've talked about a few terms, but I'm not sure if everybody knows what they are. Surrogacy is something where you've both accessed your children through that. Paul, can you explain what that is for someone who may not have come across that term before? Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll try and explain it as best as I can. (laughs) I'm not a medic. So surrogacy is when, um, so basically what happens is you create, I'll talk talk to you about my process. Yes, do that. So I decided to go to do this outside of Australia because it's so difficult trying to have children here. And and I think it's important to point out, because I've got straight friends that have gone through challenges with children, and I've, been, I've not been successful through surrogacy in Australia when they've done it through the restrictive ways that there are. Oh, so they've started the process and then they've been blocked? Uh, they, it was just, it was more of a case of that they just weren't successful. I don't think we're geared up for it. I think, I think the, the things are going to change soon, but um, I don't think Australia's geared up for, for surrogacy and, you know, and so, but it will get better. So I decided to do it um, outside of Australia just because of the restrictions here. And also um, I did it in the USA, which is probably one of the most expensive places to do it. But they are so um, regulated and they're so used to it. And it's and it's not a dirty word. When people talk about surrogacy in, in some of the Western countries, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of kept on the low. But in the States, people talk about it quite openly. So so the person that was Mike Surrogate would introduce me and say, oh, I'm going to carry for Paul. Sure. And that was just the most amazing thing. And I, I love this woman to death. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, so the process I went through was that I was introduced to a clinic in the US. The clinic, again, amazing people. They give you a, a, like a, da- a database. And it's the most strangest thing ever, you know, for anyone that wants to go that, through that route. But it's like, you know, when you see a dating app. Mm. Um, so it would be a database of amazing women that want to give back and help people that can't have children. And the database will have things like it'll have some photos of them. There's lots of information around medical background, history, where they've come from, any issues around uh, historical like diseases or, you know, mm. genetic yep. issues or anything like that. They actually do a profile. They write a profile about why they're doing it. So there's lots of different types of information on there to kind of help you to decide 
wow. would choose. And is this is is this a process that you started in Australia? Were you reviewing this kind of catalogue of you know potential people to carry your child when you were online in Australia, or did you go there in person and meet people? Okay, so this was this was done online, and this wasn't the person carrying. This was a person that was donating their egg. Okay, oh, so there's two okay. parts to this. So the first part is creating the embryos, and then the second part is carrying the baby, which is that would be the surrogate. Is there yeah. a reason why it's not together? Well, I think it's. I think ethically, it's seen as it's probably easier because you know that connection with the mother, and it's also very interesting. When I've spoken to the egg donor and said, "Would you like to be a surrogate?" and she's like, "No, I wouldn't want to carry a baby." You're like giving that baby away at the end would be so hard. And then you know, speaking to the surrogate, my surrogate, and saying, "Would you like to? You know, would you like to give be an egg donor?" And she said, "No, you know, I don't want to." you know, give my genes somewhere else. But wow. So they all played very different parts. Well, they've obviously gone through different, you know, thought processes in their yeah. head and arrived at different versions of that, you know, we need all of them to get to the outcome, but they've made that decision and yeah, they're kind of stuck with that. Yeah. Is it possible if a woman in America wanted to be both the egg donor and carry the baby or is that not allowed? I'm not sure. Think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I think, look, there's legislation state from state to state and from country to country. It's different everywhere. Sure. And that's why if someone in Australia wants to do this or anywhere else, you know, you should really get in contact with people that know what they're talking about because the legislation is changing all of the time. And the very word surrogacy means carrying someone else's child. So it can't be their child. Oh, I see. So you would have had to choose or filter through both a egg donor and a surrogate. Yeah, yeah. It sounds very overwhelming. It's I tell you what, it's the weirdest experience, okay? It's the weirdest thing. So the clinic were fantastic. And I and I need to say I had the best journey. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I had the best experience and I'm in contact two years later with uh, with the people that are still in the clinic, with my surrogate and her family, with wow. my egg donor and her family. And we have, it's now part of my, they are all part of my family. And incredible. I had, there's an incredible amount of love that we have between all of us. And I've introduced them all as well. So, so it's just been amazing. Wow. But Tell us about when the moment that you, you got Samantha or how many times you went to the US before you came home with your child. I went there to first of all create the embryo. So obviously to give my sperm and then we create the embryo. And then the next time that I, and, that, and at that point I got to meet both the egg donor for the first time and also the surrogate and her family. They wouldn't mind me saying, so that was Mariah and, and Deanna. And uh, I got to meet their extended families and they've got children of their own. We were going for dinner. We were spending time socially and they were so supportive. So I, I went, that was the first time probably around November 2019. And then we had COVID. Yeah, so we created we created embryos in January. When you say created embryos, a lot of people will be scratching their heads going, you know, did you have sex? Is it some sort of other process? Is it IVF? Am yeah, I it's correct? IVF, okay. in vitro fertilization. Yes. So, so basically you do your thing, they harvest an egg and then it's, absolutely. it's done in a laboratory or some sort of clinical yes, setting. Absolutely. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> straight man here, very confused. When you donate your sperm, do you go under as well or do you... No, no, you, you, you must you, <laughs> you must have been into a. Car. Have you ever had an orgasm? Uh, what do you mean go under? Did you think he was going no, under a general? <laughs> How do you think? Mm. Yeah, no, okay. They, no, it's they okay. harvest the egg from the female. Yeah, it's a slightly different process. Oh, no, I'm just, <laughs> they, they I'm put just you in a room. Half of they the put you in a room with. <laughs> but I think this is good. I think we need to have because a lot of people. I mean, I'm quite au fait with these terms. Obviously, Anthony, I've been sitting in part of your extended family for a while and around mm. the gay dads. 
you know, the group, you know, I'm in that. But a lot of people like Josh will have no idea about these terms. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, I'm not taking the piss out of you, but he's correct in saying we should really flesh this out. Um, <laughs> flesh, flesh it out. out. <laughs> so that's how it came out, was it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was brought into a room in Asia, like in Thailand, and they put straight porn on. <gasps> Uh-oh. So I was like, mm, this is not working for me. <laughs> so they actually, like, put you into a room and then... They give you a cup. Oh, you really? Yeah. Oh. It has to be fresh because it's all, you know, it has to be done quite quickly. It's not like a like a maxi cup, is it? Like a big venti <laughs> Starbucks or... No. Okay. Just a bit of drizzle. No. Like. Oh, God. It doesn't matter how big it is. Oh. The cup or... Is that cup. what someone has said to you the in the past? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> So, so you donated your sperm. How, how did that decision come across with you and your partner? Okay, so it's interesting going back to what Anthony was saying before around single gay men having kids. So I decided that I wanted to have children as a single gay man. So I wasn't with Charlie at the time. And again, I feel like so blessed. So what happened was Charlie and I had been, I'd been dating for some time a few years prior. I was living in Sydney. I came back again, then decided I wanted to go through the surrogacy route, started the process, and then Charlie and I reconnected. It's really funny, you know, like women talk about having kids and, um, you know, like not being able to find a partner because they've got kids mm -hmm. and how people see that. But Charlie was completely different. Charlie was like, you know, I want to be with you and I know that you're going to have a baby, you know, a baby girl. I want to be part of that. It's just been the most amazing partner and father that you could wish for. I'm so blessed. Yeah, he is great. We've, I've seen him with the kids, with Samantha and pretty much from... From day one, when you came back with Samantha, Charlie was there? Oh, all the time. Okay. He was there all the way through. And wow. also his extended family as well, his parents. We spend so much time as a family, as a connected unit. I know there's, there's you know, there's like, you know, differences in terms of genetics, whose genetic is whose, but, you know, families are made up of all different types of people, mm -hmm. all different types of ages, generations, genders. And that's what I feel. I just feel so connected and so much love because we brought this child into the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're going to have a second one. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. And and what's that process going to look like? Are you going to go with the same donors? Okay. Yeah. So incredibly, because we had such a good relationship with all of those people, we went back to the same clinic. It was the same egg donor. So Mariah volunteered again to, to, give, to go through the process of harvesting her eggs. This time we used Charlie's sperm. Okay. And our, you know, our surrogate, um, Deanna, has, has also put a hand up to say that she would love to do that oh journey for us again. That wow. is amazing. Yeah. That is that incredible. so much. Yeah. So we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to start the process around November time of this year. Sure. We want to have a few years between Samantha and, and our next child. And uh, yeah, it's just the most amazing thing. Yes. So yeah. with Samantha and her sibling, yes. male or female or, or whoever, um, they'll be half siblings. That's right. Absolutely. And they'll share. So one from Charlie, one from you, and then both from the same from egg, do egg, egg donor. donor. Yes. And then both carried in the same, what, what I call it like a tummy mummy, basically. Yeah. So you can see how much love there is from all of these people around us. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's, I, I think what you were saying before about how it's, you know, it's a chosen family. You bring people in, they, but they're originally friends or acquaintances and then soon they're family. I think that's a term that's really familiar with a lot of gay people. Yeah, it, it sounds like a really beautiful family you've got there. Yeah, I, I would say I, I didn't expect. I knew that this would create a lot of love from, from me but I didn't expect it to create so much love around me from everyone else. Probably. Yeah. Anthony, do you want to tell us about your journey to children? How many children do you have? I have three children. Uh, Celeste is my eldest child and Iris and Julian are twins. They're six years old. 
Yeah, so my story's a little bit different in that I was in a relationship. I'd been in a long-term relationship, and I still am, with Joseph. And he wanted to have kids, but his sister agreed to give her eggs to us. So we were very fortunate in that I wanted his genes. His genes are very good, so <laughs> I wanted them in my children. Uh, and his, um, his sister offered to give the eggs. So she had to go to Asia. We went through Thailand and we also went through Cambodia to have our children. And at the time she had to travel over there, go through the process, which takes about two weeks to extract the eggs. Uh, for me, it was a bit easier. I only had to go over for a day. Our situation was a little bit different is that we didn't know who the tummy mummy was going to be. Uh, it is unregulated in Thailand and in Cambodia. We went through an agency and we hoped, we kind of hoped to get the best person and we, we understood who they were very kind of vaguely. So it was more hope, I think, than anything else in, in getting our kids. We really didn't understand what was going to happen. It was a new process and it was moving from country to country at the time. India was a really big country before um, we started the process and then it was banned in India. Then people went moved to Thailand and then it was banned in Thailand, actually midway while we were having kids. And then it went to Cambodia and then it was banned in Cambodia. So every time we had children, it became illegal halfway through gestation. And uh, so what happened there? It was very stressful. <laughs> we had to, I guess, hope against hope that nothing was going to happen to the child, that the police weren't going to crack down on these surrogate mothers in a way that they would end the life of these kids. In the end, we didn't have to worry. They, they allowed those people who are carrying our children to go through to, you know, to have the birth, which obviously makes sense. But it, we were really worried. We were really stressed. We didn't know we were in a different country. We couldn't speak the same language as they spoke. The agency had to close their doors and they were under police arrest. So that meant that we had no contact, no way of contacting our surrogate mother we eventually found a way and we got a translator to go out to the village and speak to that person. But yeah, it was, yeah, very stressful. That sounds incredibly stressful doing that from Australia. Did you have a similar process to Paul where you use the same embryos and the same tummy mummy? No, because Thailand was shut down and that was, I don't know if people remember the Gammy case. So what happened was that people from Western Australia, actually, I think down in Bunbury, they had twins in Thailand and they decided, well, one was actually disabled and they left the disabled child back in Bangkok and took the well child back to Perth. And, of course, it got leaked out that someone just abandoned their child after going through surrogacy. Was that a gay couple? No, it was a straight couple. But obviously what happened was the entire world was outraged mm. and said, how does this happen? How on earth does someone leave their child to be abandoned, disabled in a third world country? And then they shut the doors and they started prosecuting people. It turned out there was all sorts of weird and wonderful things going on. There was a man, a doctor in Japan who had 21 kids or something. Sure, because it was completely surrogacy. unregulated. It's unregulated. So there was surreptitious things that were slipping through the cracks, essentially. Yeah, and of course it ruins it for people who are trying to do the right thing. And we were trying to do the right thing. We were trying to look after the surrogate mother. In, in this case, we paid the surrogate mother to have kids. I think the move in Western Australia is to have altruistic surrogacy. And that means there are women who want to give up their womb and have kids for gay dads 
or any kind of parents, I guess, that can't have children because they just want to do that. It's like unbelievable. There's an amazing collection of women that I've met, a few of them, mm. who just do it out of the goodness of their hearts. And that's the push to have that legalised in Western Australia. So how would that look? Like medical appointments, who pays for that? So you'd have to pay for the, all the work associated with having the, the kid and um, if there was any kind of medical appointments or they had to leave work and you'd pay for their salary. and Like it hasn't been completely worked out, but I imagine that's how it's going to work because you don't want them out of pocket. They're doing this for a, you know, a couple who can't have kids. You want to ensure that they are looked after. But it's not to make profit. Those mums aren't doing it to make any money. They're just doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Wow. It, Sounds like it's a very expensive process. Yeah, yeah. so I, I just want to really be clear about this because it's very confusing. So altruistic surrogacy is when someone's doing it and not getting paid for it. But as Anthony was saying, they would get compensated for any losses or medical bills or any, anything like that. Whereas commercial surrogacy, um, and that in itself, that first process will be expensive. Anyway, you, you're paying for that yourself as an intended parent. And surrogacy, uh, commercial surrogacy, which is what Australia is not, is, is very much against, and which a lot of people are going through because they have no other option, is even more expensive because you're, you're actually paying someone to have children. And, but even so, those people, in, in my case with Deanna, was doing it because she wants to give back. Mm. You know? As a gay man that's been in this community for a while, I would say that cost is the biggest barrier. Are you both willing to speak about how much money it, it, it costs? Perhaps, Paul, you can start first. So in America, mm. from beginning to arriving back on home soil with Samantha in your arms, how much money was that? Well, it, it's kind of difficult to say, and I'm going to give a number now, but you've got to remember that we're moving with the times. And so mm -hmm. I started this in 2019 mm -hmm. and prices have gone up considerably, what with COVID and more people wanting to go through this process and depending on where you want to do it. I've easily spent over 120,000 US dollars, easily, easily. And US that's just, dollars, so that's what, 150 Australian? Yeah, but wow. I'm not okay. even considering things like flights and hotels and, you know, all the additional stuff. And I, I would say every single penny of that was worth it. I would do it again. Absolutely. I, I really don't, you know, it's like, it's so worth it. It's changed my life so much. I don't know about, um, about Anthony, but for me, I, I came into Australia and I was under permanent residency so um, I didn't have citizenship so bringing my child back into the country was a whole process and then I had to, to have my child allowed to be able to stay in this country with me was again another process that's cost tens of thousands of dollars. Um, wow that is a lot of money so conservatively speaking $150,000. Easily. I think for straight people you know parents out there I guess what I'm trying to say is when I think about having children as a gay man, the first thing that I think of is the cost. And I just don't think straight people have that thing. If you imagine really? for every child you have, it's $150,000 to get started. Like I think we're all so aware as a society about how expensive kids are, but I think that straight people just don't understand that barrier because a lot of people wouldn't be able to do it. And a lot of gay men can't afford to do it. That's quite incredible. And to, to think that that's a conservative, you know, figure, it sounds like with all those other costs, whether they be visas, applications, permanent residencies, hotels, accommodation, which are things that you have to pay for when you go through that system. Is it, would you say it's closer to $200,000? It's just insane. Yeah. It's also the time that you have to spend, logistics, Absolutely. the coordination. Yeah. And the time you spend overseas getting the child, it all adds up. Like yeah. I, I know parents 
gay, gay dads who just don't have much money and mm. they've given up a lot. They've taken out loans because it's, it's just so important to them. So, you know, money doesn't become much of an object, but certainly now it's just it's almost prohibitively expensive mm. and, you know, that's why we hope that we can do this, you know, in Western Australia. Yeah, well, for someone that's gay and wants children, the first consideration is that they need the money for it. Mm. Absolutely. Compared to hetero couples, that's not really something that we have to think about at all. Well, well, not if there are straight parents that are, are going through commercial routes because uh, because they're finding it so challenging because of the legislation here in, in, in Australia. So there are people that go through that, but for gay men, the, the options are very much more limited for obvious reasons. Is it the same having children through Thailand? Is that a similar figure? Is it different? Look, I think all up, we probably spent about $200,000 too for the three children. Right. We had three. Well, bang um, for your buck then. <laughs> sure. Thanks. That's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <I'm> Jordan. <laughs> um, you know, I think we spent around $200,000 all up. There's a lot of travel between the countries and there's a continuous obligation, I think, to keep contact with the tummy mummy to ensure that we're getting, you know, they're getting looked after. At the end of the day, these people aren't wealthy people. They're, they're from third world countries and they've done this for me and I'm, you know, very appreciative and we, we continue to support them. It's interesting, the relationship between the surrogate and my kids is, is pretty much non-existent. I don't know if that's because of language or distance or the fact that they just want to move on and, you know, that's something they did for money and, you know, this is something they want to move on and, you know, not think about, I guess. So um, we just we just financially support those people. Yeah, and it's very interesting the juxtaposition between the relationship, Anthony, mm. that you have with, you know, your tummy mummies and Paul you have. You know, in Paul it's almost like they're part of your extended family, which is what you've said. And, and Anthony, for you and for Joseph, you know, there is that relationship, but would you, you kind of indicated it's more financial do you think that there'll be a time in your children's future when they'll meet their tummy mummies again? I do, and I think that's really important and that's why we try and keep that relationship going and so we understand where they are and the, the means to connect with them. Uh, we have a translator, as I said before, who lives in Thailand who keeps in contact with these mums. Yeah, look, I, I think at some stage our kids might say, well, where do I come from? Who are these people? Like, they're so important to them. That, that was, you know, who birthed me. And one day... They may want to meet one pan and chom, and you know we want to be able to facilitate that. You've used the term tummy mummy a few times now. Is that the way that you explain to the girls, particularly your eldest? She's getting to the age where she's probably seeing other families and how they're different to hers. I was really worried about how they'd react being different, that they had two dads, everyone else has a mum and a dad, but it hasn't been that way at all. They've really not been that curious. And I think it's because in schools and in society there are so many different types of families now that it's not considered abnormal. It's just considered that's the way that my family is. So there's no real questions around how was I born because do you ever ask your parents, like, why was I, you know, how was I born through you? It just kind of makes sense. That's the way it is. I think when they get older, they'll start asking questions. Mm. But at the moment, thankfully, there's few questions <laughs> and they're not comparing themselves to their friends, which is good. That's probably one of the things that I found most interesting and I guess pleasantly surprising. You know, being a part of your extended family, Anthony, watching your children grow up, 
I have never seen them really ask or inquire about that line of thought, but also they do a lot of heteronormative things. Like when they play, they don't play daddies or mummies. They play mummies and daddies every time. Like there's always a male and a female role and they just role play that just like any other child would if they were pretending to have a scenario. And I've always found that quite interesting. Do you think that's media related? It could be. Absolutely. But then would you say, Anthony, that you give your children exposure to kind of like rainbow family literature or things like that? A little bit, but mm-hmm. no, I don't think it's something I focus on. I think for, for us, we really, not that we want to try and be like every other family, we just don't want to make it different. We don't want them to feel different because they're not different. They've got two parents who love them as much as any other two parents would love them. So it's not something that we spend a lot of time on. It's not something that we talk about. We're ready to answer those questions, and I think you have to be ready to answer those questions. But we explain things. We're very open. We're very honest. We tell them exactly where they're from. And we just respond to them based on their journeys. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul, how do you think, you know, have you thought about how that will look in the future when Samantha is asking those oh, questions? Absolutely. So look, I, yeah, I, look, I, I am very much from a, of the opinion to just be open and honest and, and, you know, and also not just with her, but with everybody around us as well. So I will t- talk quite openly about the fact that Samantha was born through surrogacy. And I'm quite proud of that. I'm proud of the people that supported us through that. So I want her and other people around that to feel comfortable to be able to have those conversations and to make it more of a norm. But in terms of, you know, how do you do that first step with your child? Like, when is the best time? Hopefully, Charlie and I will be able to bring that into the conversation just normally so, so it becomes norm. I kind of look to people, you know, like like Anthony to kind of like give guidance. And that's part of the reason why I joined the, the, the Gay Dads group, because there is a whole community of people out there. There is so many. I mean, there's lots of different types of families and queer families, but there are so many gay men with children and with families here in WA. I had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> so there are many so many. There is a lot. And yeah. I've been to some of those meetups and they're... There's people who are, you know, very young, very old on their second, third kids. I've met yeah. people with grandchildren who are gay, you know, people and they have grandchildren as well. And it yeah. goes against the cliche, I think, of gay men always wanting to go out and having the best time. And it's just, it's so weird when you meet these people that want to have kids or have had kids and you just think, oh my God, there's someone like me. Mm. Yeah, kind of cool. I agree. I think that society has kind of like stamped the gaze, the file of the gaze with the kind of like frivolous, right? I mean, mm. going out because I think it lends itself to that idea because I guess before we had marriage equality, it's like how attached could you really get to someone because you can't get legally married. So you never have the same rights as a straight person. But then also it's like you can't have that next stage of relationship because you're never going to just have kids either. So I think society has, you know, we've traveled down a road that's like, oh, well, we'll just keep partying, having a good time, working jobs, going, you know, how many gay people have lived overseas or gone traveling for extended periods of time? Because traditionally, like, we haven't had families. Mm. But it's not necessarily based on what that person wants. It's what society has allowed them to do with their life. And I think now we are seeing for the first time, like the growth of community groups like the Gay Dads Group. And, you know, you have such a great community there. And um, I just think it's really great. And it's very inspiring as a young gay man to know that all of a sudden there's this path that's kind of opening up that you never really considered. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you talk about cultural norms, so even not just from within the larger community, 
but even within the gay community, I'm sure a lot of gay men don't realise that they can have children, but it's becoming more well-known now. So so Anthony and I, and there's some other people as well that have been very much involved in promoting Gay Dads, WA. And the reasons that we're doing that is, is one, to make other gay men realise that there are options for having children because a lot of people don't know and they're really surprised. And when people do find out, they're desperate to find out information about how do I do that. So one is around making gay men in the community realise that there are options for that. And secondly, also to make the wider community realise that there are gay dads out there and we do a bloody good job. You know? I'm biased. I think we do a very good job too. But And I think it's related to the fact that we've got to put so much effort into having our children. A decision has to be made investment has to be made you have to really think through things very carefully before you have children you can't just wake up one morning oh i'm pregnant it's something that you do very deliberately and i think that means that we are very good parents at the end of the day absolutely and paul you've mentioned the gay dads group and i know that they've got a new website out can you tell us what the address is how we can get there and what sort of things are on the page yeah sure absolutely thank you so look again it's been a group of us that have worked on this so we have we currently have a a facebook page which is a community group and it's just for gay dads or people that are gay that want to become parents so just connecting with the community um, so we wanted to raise the awareness of that uh, within WA. But also, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I got talking to Adrian. Adrian introduced me to someone else, and then that kind of grew. And that's how I discovered, you know, how do you navigate through this process? You know, like, how do you get to the end game of having a child? And so what we wanted to do with that was to create a page where there was information, whether you want to be you're an intended parent or whether you have children, where there's a page there that's got information around if the surrogacy route, who should I contact? If you want to legalise your relationship so that you've got equal parent rights, and that's another conversation, you know, who do I speak to? Um, if I have a child and they're sick, who can I call? It, you know, it's that kind of information. And actually what, it's, what I'm particularly proud of with this is that all of that information is applicable to anybody. So whether you're gay, straight, single, it doesn't matter. If you if you want to have a child and can go through the normal routes, there is some information on there with great people that are doing a great service to us that could really help. Amazing. Anthony, as well, I know you've said you've attended events in the past with the Gay Dads Group. What sort of events, you know, do they host and what sort of people can attend? The Pride Float is the best. <laughs> so I hope we get to do it again this year. Paul. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's fun. Um, but I f- first went to a bowling night with gay dads. It was a f- I was actually quite nervous to meet these guys and think, oh, who are these weirdos having kids? And it's just that. It's we're just actually that. trying to campaign against the thoughts like that, so that's not very <laughs> helpful. Um, they weren't weird. Yes, anyway. They weren't weird. But, you know, it's just those social kind of events. We do a lot of stuff in parks and get-togethers with the kids at Easter time and do, you know, Easter egg hunts and things like that. It's just an opportunity, I think, also for the kids to see one another and understand, oh, there's lots of people with gay dads. Isn't that kind of cool? Not that they ever mention it to me because I always say, there's going to be other gay dads here. And they're like, okay, dad, whatever. (laughs) Um, But it's, you know, I think it's just good to kind of see that there's a community around. And so that's why it's mainly in those kind of social settings. But sometimes the dads go out 
without kids, which is fun. It's really interesting. I've attended a lot of those events over the past couple of years, and it's very interesting to see the type of people who come from, you know, younger people or, or people who are first-time parents or just starting their journey to I've seen people who, who are traditionally in straight relationships. They've broken away as a mm. single parent and brought their children to gay dad's events because obviously, you know, they were always gay, but now they're they're coming out on, and they're in the spotlight. But well, they're the older schooled gays. We have a lot of um, formerly straight people. Exactly. Who had kids. Yeah. And it's really, you know, it's really beautiful to see that they feel so comfortable in a setting like that. And I think that's a testament to, you know, the founders or whoever set up the Gay Dads group. Do we know who did set it up? Because you both joined into it, right? No, I didn't set it up. We, we we joined into it. It was just it just grew out of people wanting to be together and talking about their experiences because it was so new. And I think mainly in that surrogacy journey in India, so people that were having kids back in 2010, 2008, that kind of era, mm-hmm. they're, they're still around, which is great. And kids, we're keeping the community. So there's kids that are, you know, babies to, you know, kids that are already like in their teens. Yeah. So can I ask, where are we up to in WA around surrogacy in that whole political landscape? So we should have a shout out to the McGowan government. Thank you. Yes, um, we've been, daddy. <laughs> we've been working on this for some time. There was a um, report into this in 2019. And so we've been working for the last four years to try and get legislation which removed discrimination against men. And we hope, and it was announced just a few days ago, that that legislation will be going before parliament and I hope that will be this year. And just to take us back to a thing we touched on before, if, you know, me and let's say I have a boyfriend next to me, if we in WA at the moment, if we wanted to create that process, you know, in-house, in the state, it's illegal to do surrogacy and to, to do the implantation process or is it legal? It happens, but it's not legal. Okay. And if, if, for example, I was a woman and my partner was a woman and you were to do that, is that process legal or illegal? That's legal. Okay. Do we know why the difference is? Because I just can't seem to get... Well, look, the current situation probably goes against any discrimination laws, uh, so it's not tenable. I don't know why it's like that, but I, I imagine it's something to do, as Paul said before, against this discrimination against gay men and should they be fathers and should men be the only people involved in kids' lives. So I think it's important to recognise that we can and this that's what this legislation does. I think also, I, I think I've read somewhere that um, even single straight men have always had children and have found it very difficult and very challenging. So it's that whole kind of, if you're a man and you want to be a parent, then, you know, are you a paedophile? Mm. You know, is there an, you know, an, a, another reason why you're doing mm. that? Did they make you go through any screens or assess that? So, so currently, if, if anyone wants to become a parent, whether gay, straight or whatever, like whatever route, from what I understand from my straight friends that have gone through trying to have children, they first of all, they tried the traditional route, then they tried surrogacy here in, in Australia. And again, it wasn't commercial surrogacy, it was altruistic. So it was their a sister-in-law that was going through that process with them, supporting them through, and then tried the fostering route and adoption route, sorry. And um, and that all of that has been a challenge because of the amount of psych tests and process and paperwork that you need to go through. I mean, if you actually look at the number of, you know, adoptions that actually happen in WA, it's so few. Mm. And there are thousands of children out there that are desperate for love. Mm. But, the you know, our society makes it so difficult to make that a reality. And legalising surrogacy will achieve that in that, 
I wasn't interviewed. I didn't have to have any questions asked of me. I didn't have to see a psychologist. There were no checks or balances. You know, am I doing this for the right reasons? Of course I was, but there should be that. There should be a requirement to go and see a psychologist multiple times to make sure you're doing it for all the right reasons, despite the fact that straight people can just, you know, have it without or any of this stuff. Oh, that's It's just <laughs> mind-boggling to me. I, I, I totally see what you mean, legalising the process. You know, having all these checks and balances is really important. And safeguarding is something that I feel quite strongly about in my professional job. Mm. But the idea that, you know, straight people, they don't go through psychological testing. Mm. They don't work out how long they've been together. They do not provide evidence. They don't show evidence of citizenship. These are all things that you guys have to go through. And it's just, as Josh, you said, it must make that process so mentally, cognitively draining. It's a whole project. It's a whole project. And you're you're doing it on your own. Mm. You know, you're trying to navigate through legislation. I mean, you know, just, just having a baby. Think about it. Someone going through a pregnancy and supporting them through that. That in itself is just incredibly... It's an incredibly stressful mm. process. Of course, I'm very rewarding. I don't want to take away from that any in any way whatsoever. But then all the legislation that you need to jump through mm. to try and legalize your child, either living in this country or coming back to this country, is incredible. Mm. So I was actually having a look at the Gay Dads WA website earlier in the week to prepare for this, and I came across your little bio or your little spiel, and I found it very beautiful. Thank you. And with your permission, I'd love to share just the oh, first yes, please. paragraph. Yeah, go ahead. So this is Paul's story. I created an email address for our unborn daughter in 2021. I wanted her to know what was happening and how I was feeling during the time of her birth and as she continued to grow. I want her to be able to look back and understand what her dads were like and how much love they have for her. My emails continued throughout the pregnancy and the birth through the return back to Australia at a time when borders were closed due to COVID. It was a miracle that I was able to return, but through the network of loving and supporting people both in USA and Australia, we made it through that challenging time. I am forever grateful. Tell us about the emails that you were sending. Or where did that idea come from? Okay, yeah, sorry, I'll, I, mean, I, get, I, get, I still get teary-eyed. So, yeah, so as I said before, like, I've just been surrounded by so much love. And so Courtney, who works at the clinic, she told me that I should write a diary to Samantha. So I could talk to her about the story and what we were going through. And then she suggested, why don't you start an email? So I set up a Gmail account for Samantha and, um, and I send her emails, in particularly around that, that time of her birth, because there was so much going on with COVID and, you know, sickness and trying to get back. And I, you know, I want her to understand you know, at some point in the future why I did this. And, and, and how much we went through to actually bring her into this world and how much love there was and support to bring her into this world as well. Because I, I, it's a miracle. I just, I'm, I just feel so blessed. And it's beautiful. And I've actually got the first letter here to Samantha. I don't know if I should go ahead, go, yeah, read it continue. out. Wait, can you read it, Paul? Please? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to start crying. I'm telling you now. <laughs> it's oh, a, it would goodness. just be so beautiful if you could. All right, where, where do I start? Uh, the oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. So this is so this is one of my first emails. Some of them went, went quite long, but this is one of my shorter ones. So, so this is February 2021. So this is about five months before she was born. So it says, hi, Samantha. Um, I created this email account for you so that I could write to you about our journey. You're not here yet, but we already love you with our full hearts. We're not going to get through this, guys. Oh, hold on, hold on. Right, okay, that's fine. It's right. so beautiful. And okay. if you need to stop and pause, that's fine. Thank you. So I said, so we're, um, we already love you with our full hearts. Um, I, always want you to, I always want to be honest and truthful with you. 
So I may use some words which are not the right terms to use, but I want to explain things as clearly as I can. Tomorrow is your 20-week scan, and I'm up at 5.45 a.m. to have a call on what's up with the, the hospital in Boise. This is an important time when the doctor conducts an ultrasound, and we get a look at your bone structure, organs, blood flow in more detail. Deanna, your surrogate mother or carrier, will dial me into the call. She is a wonderful woman. She is quiet and shy, but she is strong and determined. I will tell you more about her and your genetic mother um, later in emails. Deanna has two daughters and a wonderful supportive partner. Deanna arranged for an appointment with another, another clinic to conduct a quick ultra, ultrasound scan. Um, she wanted her daughters to see you. And as I said, Deanna is, is wonderful. I will send you the scan to you in the next email and you should be able to hear her daughters talking. I have a lot to say to you and I will tell you more about our story bit by bit. I look forward to seeing you again in the morning. I love you, Paul. Oh, yeah. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. What an incredible resource. I mean, like, and you're sending your own daughter her ultrasound scans. This is like some sci-fi shit. Yeah, it's really incredible. Like, and things like WhatsApp just make it so much easier to connect with people. So Deanna basically, at her own cost, this was not part of the process. She wanted to see what uh, Samantha was going to look like. You know, she loves our child so much. They all do. And so she went to have this special ultrasound where you can actually see the face of the child and everything and have the checkup of everything else. So, yeah, she called me. It was 5.45 in the morning. I think even my mum was with me at the time. She was dialed in. So we're connecting through WhatsApp and watching through this through WhatsApp. Wow. Um, yeah, and her, her daughters are then. And they were so excited as well. So it's like it's a whole, they say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to bring a child into the world as well. Villages in different continents yeah, as well. And time zones. <laughs> it's incredible. So what's the plan with these emails? Are you going to give it to her when she's, because she's only two. Yeah, she's only stage. two. So, so she's not read the emails yet? <laughs> Got a bit delayed, isn't she? Hurry up. <laughs> so, yeah, I just I just think it would be nice at some point when she gets older and she can understand some of this to be able to give us some of that, just so that she can see, you know, what was going on in my life at the time and as I go through my life and some of the challenges. And hopefully when she comes to an age where she's going to have her own children, she can look back at that and think, oh, my goodness. How barbaric, you know, that, how, how well we've moved on. <laughs> yeah, you know? an email, it would be like the, the equivalent of like Stone Age, basically yeah. like chiseled like into the rock. machine. Yeah. Um, but that's an incredible resource for anybody to do. I mean, straight people can do that. Mm. Not, doesn't, it doesn't cost it's, anything, it's but it's such a great Amazing. One of the things that I wanted to ask before we finish up the session is, oh God, it sounds like a psych session, me saying that. <laughs> I feel like it actually it has been. You guys must get asked a lot of common questions. Anthony, did you want to start? Do you, have you had any questions that have come to you from straight people, gay people about either your relationship with your husband, how you got children? I'm just thinking there's probably a lot I, of I think the thing they always are scared to ask is whose kids they are. Mm. Um, by implication, you know, who's the real dad and who's the not real dad. And a lot of gay dads struggle with that and, you know, don't want to reveal who's who in the zoo. We've been very um, straightforward with it. And I think that's because we've been so lucky in that Rosemary Joseph sister you know, went through that incredible sacrifice to give uh, those eggs to us. So we're all related. We're all part of the same family. And so we we try and explain that, you know, we're, we're both related to the kids. But 
then that just confuses people completely and they don't know what's going on. I always feel like it's a taboo question. Like yeah, it kind of is. You shouldn't really. I mean, there is no real dad and, an, you know, an unreal dad. We both love them as much as each other. So it, it can be difficult for the dad who is not genetically connected to the child to hear that because am I less, you know, it, mm. it's, it's a difficult question. and It's something I probably would advise people not to ask. Sure, yeah. Paul, have you had any questions that have come to you or do you get the question that always kind of comes up? I get a lot of people asking about the process. So I'm, as I said, I'm quite open about the fact that Samantha came through surrogacy. Heterosexual people that ask, you know, I use it as an opportunity to actually educate. So to make people aware that there are options out there and that there are families which are gay families. There's a lot of gay men that will ask me about the process and who want to become, become fathers. So I, I've currently got... Uh, there's two people that I know, uh, one friend in Sydney and one friend that's in uh, in London, who are both going through the same process. I've taught them through it, I've guided them through it, I've put them in contact with the people that I, I know, and uh, and they've both started their journeys. One's just created embryos, and the second one's going to have his baby child in about a month or so. That gives me so much pleasure, because being a parent is the, it's the biggest blessing you could ever have. You, you can't put it into words like... And I, maybe not everyone feels the same, but I just feel so blessed. And I want, you know, that love that I feel, I want other people to be able to experience that too. And so I'm so grateful and thankful that they've decided to to take that uh, that option. Yeah, I don't know what to say. It was incredible. I did do a question and answer on my Instagram to see if my followers had any questions. They sent in about 10 of them. And I reckon you guys have answered eight just straight off the bat. It, a lot of them were about the process. A couple that I'll read out that I don't think we quite got to. This person said, do you believe you're judged more harshly about your parenting styles and ideals versus a heterosexual couple? Yes. In what way? I think because there's always been a question around, well, why are you allowed to have kids? Uh, this is not natural. This is not normal. So I feel, and maybe this is just something internal, I feel more pressure to, uh, on myself to do the right thing, to, you know, parent better than anyone else. And I think that's more of an internal thing than anything else. And I think that just comes from our history and our experience in not being able to have children. And you want to prove it. You want to prove that you're doing a good job. You want to show the rest of the world that gay dads can do it as well as straight people. So I don't think it's necessarily an external channel challenge, but more something that internally we think about a lot. That makes sense. Paul? Would you say you're judged differently or more harshly than heterosexual couples? I would say that I, I don't really care. My relationship's with my family, and and that's my family unit, and I, I protect them. I think there is the judgment, most definitely. I think that, you know, it's not seen as normal because where's the mum? You know, and so, you know, there, there, there is always going to be that perception. But I've, as I said, through the Gay Dads group, I've met so many amazing. And Anthony and his partner are incredible parents and set such a good example for all of us. You know, I see them and I see what they do. And, yeah, they're inspiring. They, they really do work very hard at what they do and put their kids first. Mm. And I would say that not all dads in straight relationships can do all the things that mums do in straight relationships. And so there is this view that, oh, my God, your kids are missing out because they don't have a mum. So what happens? And you think, well, no, we do that. Like, that's mm. what dads can do. We can be the mum and the dad. There's just there's nothing missing in, in the way they're brought up. When the child's born, how long until 
they come to Australia? Uh, for us, it was a month. So we had to go through a genetic test to prove that my child was my child. And because I'm a citizen of Australia, so it's a bit easier for me because I was a citizen of Australia. If you have a child, it's citizenship by descent. And so you, it's they're automatically Australian then. Okay. Yeah. Okay, my process was a little bit longer. So in the US, a child can leave and get onto a plane with a, a doctor's note. So the doctor says that the child can fly. So after three weeks, we'd gone through the process of actually changing the, the American birth certificate, where I was the only parent on there. Charlie w- wasn't allowed to be on there because he wasn't allowed to fly out to the US because of COVID. There was restrictions and he would not, in, in the eyes of Australia, be seen as the legal father. So that meant that he couldn't fly out there. So uh, it took three weeks for us to get the birth certificate, and then it was just trying to fly back. And then we have COVID. So we were actually stuck in the in the US for two months um, before we actually got back. I remember that time. I was following your journey on Facebook, I think it was, and you were posting about it. Um, so, yeah, I felt like there's a lot of people back home that were kind of following you. So Yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a tough time. It was a tough time. I was on, you know, again, you know, I was there as, as a single parent had no hope of knowing when I was going to get back home and you've got a child that you're looking after people were dying of COVID because it was you know people didn't want to get vaccinated in the US so the hospitals were full the clinics were full to get to do a COVID test if you want to get tested it was so very challenging it really was yeah Paul we were following your case with interest from Australia and I did not envy you that sounded horrible like we had been through the process and we were able to get our kids back after a month and that's actually very very fast most people wait two or three months and then to add COVID on top of that was just like oh my god these guys (laughs) must be so hard because you've got this tiny little baby Mm. in a foreign country and we were just in like a, an apartment someplace, no one to support us. We didn't know what was going on. We were in a, in, a, in a country where we didn't speak the same language. So we didn't know how to get help. We even had medical conditions with, with our little boy. He had to go to hospital and that was the scariest thing I've ever been through in my life. So, yeah, like it doesn't sound like a long time, but it actually is quite a, a journey. Mm. I, 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 again, I come back to the people that were there around me. They were so supportive. There was so much love from the people in the States, the people I was renting the place from, my egg donor, my surrogate, the clinic, everybody was so supportive. And that's what helped me through it. But to kind of give you an indication, so you've got a child where you're getting no sleep and you're trying to feed every day Mm. and getting very little sleep at night. And then I would be basically on email, on telephone calls to Australia, trying to speak to the Australian government. I, I spoke to the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade for Australia. I rang Australia and spoke to them and and they told me, look, we've got 30,000 people trying to get back into the country. Everybody's got a story, Mm. you know, and it was like, you're just going to have to wait your turn. Yeah, it was hard. You had a a different experience, but maybe a little bit similar where you were lobbying as well to come back into the country. Is that right, Anthony? Luckily, my parents lived in Anthony Albanese's seat. (gasps) Nepotism. I know, right? Um, Start the inquiry. Well, he wasn't in government, but he was able to help us get through to the right people. And so it quickened up substantially. So So what was the barrier there? They just ignore you. You just have to go through a a queue system and you you have no idea how long it's going to take. They don't keep you up to date. They don't tell you that it's going to take another six weeks or eight weeks. They just, it's just silence. And you go to the embassy. So we went to the embassy in Bangkok and they say, can you please leave? We've got no information. You have to do it through Australia. So you're just left there thinking, am I ever going to leave this place? So 
we went to a, you know a local MP to try and get that expedited. Can I ask? Are we? Can we PR the um, the website the website as well? Because I don't think we've actually said what yeah. the website is. Uh, yeah, we can do the website and any events that are coming up. Maybe that's a good way. Nope. I think follow the Facebook No page. support, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. It's a really supportive group sure. unless you want to have a kid. <laughs> yeah, if you if you're if you're a gay man and you want to be part of a community group and you're you know you'll want to have children or you've got children, then please join our group. So so the webpage is www.gaydadswa.com.au. And on Facebook we're gay dads WA as well. Perfect, and we'll put that on the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And there will be information about upcoming events that you're hosting. Yeah, so we, we kind of do it um, sporadically. We're planning an event, a go-karting event in a few weeks, which should cover like age, the kids of all different ages and the dads, so it should be quite fun. That sounds really awesome. I just want to say thanks so much for coming onto the show, guys. You've given us emotional stories. You've given us insight into surrogacy laws in, in Australia and the whole process of becoming parents. So I just want to say thanks so much. No, thank you. I think giving us a platform to be able to tell our stories is rare. And so we really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you both. 